This episode of The Citadel Cafe is brought to you by listeners like you. Visit patreon.com slash the Citadel Cafe to find out how you can become a patron and help make this show possible. This is the Citadel Cafe, episode number 428 for Wednesday, January 5th, 2022. My name is Joel Duggan and the Citadel Cafe is where my friends and I hang out to talk about the geeky stuff that we are into. We've been doing it for 10 years and joining me this week is Stephen ESC, which is the handle you can find him on social media and the handle that he goes by in real life most of the time. Hello, sir. <laughs> hey, Joel. Thanks for having me. And I'm actually just realizing this is not to the day, but it was the I believe the first Wednesday of the year last year. That's sort of my, my one-year anniversary. So. It's your podcast anniversary. Well, I mean, I, I thanked everybody when they were on the holiday roundtable. And, I mean, thanks again just to you for taking the time, you know, out of the year to to do it. I know it's it's tough with COVID and, and everybody trying to manage all the different complications that come in. Um, I know in our region, you know, kids that go to public school have been delayed by another week or two. So that's putting mm -hmm. cramps in people's plans. And I remember back when doing comics coast to coast, like anytime we tried to schedule an artist that had kids, like whenever something happened or shifted or whatever, we'd always have to like juggle around and see what was going on. Oh, yeah. um, but uh, so, I, I mean, as as much as we're all doing nothing, if that's what you're choosing to do <laughs> to, to help with, um, you know, keep COVID from sped spreading, it also feels like people are, are busy. And so it's hard to kind of wrangle those, those times. So I find scheduling mm -hmm. things has helped a lot. I mean, have you found that in 2021, like scheduling, you know, either whether it's a monthly podcast meeting or whether it's a, uh, like a Minecraft hangout or something, do you find scheduling that kind of stuff helps a lot more? It does. I think for me and my personality, when I'm not, you know, like begets like kind of thing. So when I'm, when I don't feel like doing a whole lot, I feel less like doing a whole lot. Like I'm, it's, unfortunately, it's easy to talk myself out of doing stuff. And that's one of my least favorite things about me. But then, so when I schedule things, like I've got, uh, I've changed my stream schedule to two days a week because I found three days a week just felt too busy and daunting. And it became easy to just, I can't do it tonight. I can't do it tonight. So then I was only streaming maybe once a week. And I skipped, I think, an entire week at one point as well. So now that I'm down to two, I look forward to it. It's, it doesn't feel like it's a daunting thing. And it's at a time slot, so I have to arrange things around it. So it's, it's been super helpful, especially being home and in the same room. And I, know, I know you're the same way, like your your workroom and your podcast room and yeah. your playroom are all the same kind of thing. So it's it's been helpful the last uh little while uh with the xbox because that's in the living room and now that i have the new couch yeah. and it's much more comfortable out there that's a different thing even though it's video games it's still which is related to streaming but like i don't stream from the xbox so like i'm out there playing stuff by myself or maybe mm -hmm. with ryan online over microphone or something but most of the time it's just me by myself because it's not long sessions it's just like 20 minutes playing forza or you know assassin's creed or whatever um nice. but i found that the the schedule thing has helped i mean one it helps be consistent for growing the community for my streaming but um 
I know what you mean about the balance. When I was streaming almost every day in November, while I enjoyed it, um, I found it draining. And so I didn't mm -hmm. necessarily feel after every stream that that was a good stream. I'm not saying that they were bad in the eyes of the people watching. I just felt that they weren't my top sort of presentation. Going through the motions at some point? Um, not so much going through the motions, just tired. Like just, you know, mm. I, I wasn't used to doing that. Talking a lot, you start to lose your voice. Um, yeah. Or not talking because you just, you run out of stuff to say. Like all of your anecdotes <laughs> are spent, right? Like you just, nothing's changed in 24 hours worth talking about, you know? That's one of my, my, my biggest worries with streaming is just to get to a point where I go, and um, I'm just going to dig here for a while because I've run out of stuff to say. <laughs> I mean, you've, the, the nice thing there is that you've got the chat. You can just like, so chat, what's new? And ultimately somebody will yeah. dive in with, with oh, something. Yeah. But I, I find That's... too that um, for, for me, I forget that there are sound effects and things happening in the game. And I'll watch other streamers and I'll realize, wow, they haven't said anything for about a minute, but I've not been bored. Like I'm, mm -hmm. I'm thoroughly enjoying watching them do this thing. So I try to keep that in mind because I tune out the sound effects. Like I don't feel that they are part of the presentation when I'm streaming. Right. Huh. For me, uh, I think too, um, spending time out on the Xbox is, is a nice break. Cause like you said, it's the four walls of, of having a home, a home studio and I face the door, which is nice. So like I can look out into my much larger living room. I don't feel like I necessarily right. have these four small walls. I kind of like have like a decent, decent view. Right. Um, but as much as that is supposed to be stress relief, uh, I, I won't get into the gameplay cause I've only played two hours. The reason why I've only played two hours of Assassin's Creed Valhalla is because I spent the other two hours troubleshooting graphics on the oh, game. No. And I, it started when I watched the opening sequence. And here's the thing about these games that do opening sequences. If you do that, if you're going to put your player on rails through a good 15 minutes of story and scenery, allow them to change the graphics first. Like bring, bring up a screen that says, we'd like to hone your experience to HDR or brightness or whatever it is you're going to do. Mm. Um, and and explain to the player if they go to the screen and brightness and contrast are grayed out and you cannot change them because that would be nice to know why as well so what's happened is and this is not um anything or, or any fault of mine this is a known bug apparently in the game which after a year has still not been patched so like i'm glad i didn't pay full price for this i would be pissed off so the HDR in Assassin's Creed Valhalla is implemented wrong. It does something with the RGB values and it crushes the blacks and makes them kind of gray. And so you're in this like torchlit Viking hut where everybody's like feasting with a couple of big bonfires going around and everything is just monotone gray, you know, as far as lighting goes. There's no deep blacks. There's no bright highlights from the campfires, nothing. And you're like, this looks, yeah, this looks like crap. I mean, this is an Xbox Series X. This is a, 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 not a next generation game because it was made for both generation platforms, but it, like, it should be enhanced at least for Xbox Series X. Mm -hmm. And so I was disappointed. And the fact that it's play, you know, you can play it in HDR means it should run in HDR normally and give you all of the controls. Like if you're going to gray out and not give me the basic brightness contrast controls, at least give me a reason on screen. Like you cannot use these when HDR is enabled and they don't do that. Anyway, after a lot can of, you turn H, can you turn HDR off? You can on the whole system and it doesn't take long and oh. it doesn't do anything. But then, then you're like, you're going and you're watching something else later and you're just like, 
Why? Like, I thought this was, oh, I forgot to turn HDR back on for the games that actually do it properly. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's just a pain in the butt. Because what, what should happen is the Xbox detects whether the game does HDR or not. And if it does, mm -hmm. it says, great. And if it doesn't, then it tells your TV, we're just going to do this in regular 4K streaming mode. And the TV doesn't switch to HDR. So there's a, con there's a communication happening between the TV and the Xbox. And it gives That's you like a little, it is. And they give you a little um, indicator in the top right-hand corner of the television, which is a TCL thing. And it says like um, HDR, or it says Dolby Vision, or um, or I think just nothing comes up if it's just a regular movie mode. And that's for most things on Netflix. Like the average television show is just has a movie mode. Whereas, mm -hmm. um, uh, HDR content or, um, Dolby content will, will show differently. And, um, I've had to turn off Dolby content because I had a problem with Halo Infinite where HDR looked fine. But if you had Dolby enabled on the Xbox, then it would try to interpret the the encoding for dolby incorrectly from from halo so i mean i know that this is a new console within the year but like these games have been development forever and i don't think there's any excuse uh and nothing pisses me off more than saying i have three hours maybe to sit down and play this video game tonight and then i spend 90 minutes of that or more troubleshooting mm. trying to figure out why this doesn't look good now does it affect the story no does it affect the gameplay not really in terms of like, you know, actions you're doing and stuff that you're, you know, accomplishing and adventures you're going on. But like to travel across the ocean in a Viking ship with HDR on, if you can manage to get the settings tweaked right, looks amazing. And so when you're doing it and it looks not amazing, you're just like, I've seen video of this game on other people's consoles. Why doesn't mine look the same? So when you Kills lose the immersiveness of it, oh, it totally does, you know, because and, and you and I are, I don't know if you're this, this way, but I'm like a dog with a bone when there's a tech issue. Like I need, I yeah, want to I fix exactly it. The same yeah. Way. Like it really kind of bugs me to the point where it becomes a problem and ruins my night. So, um, I will give Assassin's Creed more time so far. It's Assassin's Creed. It's not really breaking any molds for mm. me. Um, I did manage to get some settings so it looks okay. Um, I've preferred to have better settings during gameplay. The cutscenes still look like crap. I don't know why I can't seem to get both to look good at the same time, but I've opted for gameplay looking better because that's where you're spending 90% of your time. Right. Um, yeah, I'll get into mm. the whole gameplay and lip sync rant, uh, next week, maybe with Lou. <laughs> um, I don't know if Lou's played the game or not, but yeah. It's almost a case of having too many smart items that don't actually know how to talk to each other properly. For for me, I would almost rather there be like, rather than having to deal with the frustration of all of the stuff done automatically. Like if, if you want if you could just give me a physical switch that made a really obnoxious click sound, but I would turn HDR on when I wanted HDR on, as opposed to having to <laughs> all of this nonsense, it'd almost be more appealing. Well, and I think the problem is that each studio is implementing HDR separately. And Dolby mm. Vision is just branded HDR. That's all it is. I didn't know that until I did some research. And so I feel like they need to reach a standard and, and platforms. So whether it's a PlayStation, computer, or Xbox need to say, if you want to claim HDR on your game, it has to right. comply to these specific parameters and it has to work 
out of the box, right? Like even if it's a patch, like you just, you still, you know, I, I see all these things with these expensive games where they're like, you know, game breaking bugs day one and they don't patch them. It's like, did you not play test? Like, did you not put yeah. it in an Xbox, turn it on and say, yes, it works. <laughs> right. Uh, I always find that really kind of problematic, but um, now on the flip side to, to swing back to something more positive, I did pick up the Govi TV immersion LED kit before Christmas. Oh, right. Did I send you a video of this or have you seen it on, on social media? I can't remember. I'm trying to remember myself. This, it sounds familiar. We, we may have just chatted about it. Right. So this is a set of LED strips that go along the back of your TV. The set that I picked up is for 55 and 65 inch TVs. Um, my lights go corner to corner because I only have the 55. So there's no slack, which is nice. Mm. and they are responsive. There's a camera that comes with the kit and a little box that you hook everything up to on the back of the TV. Uh, I lucked out because I, I didn't like the look of these, the camera hanging on the top of your television. It looks like a webcam on your TV. Oh, yeah. And uh, I saw a guy do this hack on YouTube when I was looking at the reviews of the project where he took a little basket, a little decorative basket, filled it with those black polished stones and buried his camera in it. And I thought, no. oh, smart. So smart. Right? And he had his TV mounted. Now, mine's not mounted, and I don't have room for a basket on my, on my TV unit. But the camera's black, my TV unit is black, and the, um, the sound bar in front of everything is also black. So I just said, screw it. For now, I'm just going to tape it down to the, to the TV unit. You can't see it. When the lights are dimmed and you're playing a game, like you can't not tell that there's a camera there at all. You can mm. in the daytime, but I don't care. Um, anyway, so... I just, the, went, I just went to the website and it shows it attached to the top pointing down. Does it have to point down? or can No. You, point you, can, you, could, you could attach it to the bottom as well. So mm. it, for, some, for some people that don't have a soundbar uh, or, and this is a problem I think Lou and I talked about, uh, for me, I wouldn't be able to actually attach it to the bottom of the TV because that's where the RF receiver is for the TV remote. It's right in the middle. Right. Right. So you couldn't do it. It has to be in the middle, but it can point either up or down. So I get the whole thing configured and I get it set up and it seemed to be working pretty well. And I loaded up the Marvel intro, you know, where all the characters come on screen, <laughs> the word nice. Marvel goes by and like Hulk is green and Black Panther's purple. And it is intense. Like it worked like a top and i was just i was double checking this because after my um assassin's creed experience i was just like what you mean this thing that i pulled out of the box did nothing to but one firmware update when it first loaded into my network that was it <laughs> right mm. and it just works uh first time calibrating it i thought man you know this is too good to be true but it looked amazing then i switched over and started playing forza and it's really cool in that the, the light um, strips will light up in segments depending on what is on your screen. So in Forza, you've got your speedometer down in the bottom right-hand corner and your, um, your high end of, your, of your, um, your RPM is in red. You know, most speedometers have like a red section. Yeah, yeah. And so there's a little bit of red on the wall <laughs> from, <laughs> from, your, from your, your console. And... When you pass cars and the headlights go by, that part of the wall lights up. If you're driving at night and you pass between flares, because that's how the road race, your path is say, you know, like drive between the flares, your whole room goes red when you pass between the flares and then it goes back that's to normal. So cool. Dude, I, I didn't think it was going to be as cool as it was. I got it on sale 
for like 30% off. And I thought, whatever, it's now within, if this only does half of what it says it does, it's still going to be good. And I need new lights for the living room anyway. So I have been thoroughly impressed. Now there's two kits out there. One of them has light bars, which are kind of like lamps that you point at the wall um, mm. and they can be synced up. So everything works in, in tandem. Um, but I don't have enough space. Uh, I've got bookshelves about two feet from my TV on either side, but these lights are bright enough that they light up the whole wall. Like I, I, I wouldn't need the lights. I wouldn't know where to put them. Uh, if right. you had a much bigger space, a TV would be, uh, the, the bars would be good too. Um, you can buy them separately or you can buy them together, but I, I didn't need them. Um, but then I played, um, I'll talk about this a little bit later with the Forza five opening. Cause then I played that with the lights on and I'll send you the video later. But it, sure. oh, it the, the coolest thing about is going from inside to outside. So if you're inside the cockpit of a plane or you're outside, or if you're in a tunnel and then you're outside of the tunnel, when you leave the tunnel, everything goes white or, or sky again. And your whole room changes from being dim to like bright. It, it really feels like it does when you drive through a tunnel in a car. And, uh, I did not think it was going to be that much of an immersion thing like i think i thought yeah it'll be cool you know kind of thematic whatever but i didn't think it was going to change games in that way now i haven't played anything really intense like halo or like first person shooters or space games or stuff like that so i don't know if mm. it's going to be a little bit trippy when you get into the really high action stuff uh whether it's going to be stroby or, or flashy yeah um, i imagine it would well so there's a different thing that you can change the settings so that instead of each segment responding to the edge of the tv you can say interpolate the entire television and give me one color that represents the whole thing so if you're in an ocean scene oh, the nice. whole tv would just be blue and if it switches to inside it'll just change to like a tungsten or whatever so it's not as as responsive or as um intense i guess um and after a while i was looking at the top right hand corner i thought why is this orange it feels orange to me and it shouldn't be <laughs> And I thought, oh, here we go. Tech woes right down the rabbit hole of like, God, if this thing doesn't work. I thought, well, wait a minute. I had changed all of my lights in the living room to orange as they're static so that when I went to video mode on the lights, I thought maybe, maybe it's the orange default setting that's kind of showing through. Nope, wasn't that. So then I was doing some cleaning and I realized that it is, it was orange again, but it was a different orange. And I was like, what the hell is going on? The camera is so sensitive and responsive, which is, again, a compliment to this system. It was picking up the twinkle of my Christmas tree, reflecting <laughs> off the screen of my television <laughs> and projecting it as orange on, on the back wall. And I was cool. just like, well, I know it works anyway. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I turned off the Christmas tree and, and during the daytime and it was fine. I was like, it's the tree. <laughs> So now Brilliant. that the Christmas tree is down, I don't have an orange tint on the side, which is fine. But uh, yeah, it's. I mean, it's, once you, once you know what it is, it's so it's fine that it's there. But that's funny. yes, yeah. When you know that you can control it, or you realize it's only going to be there for the weekend, or like you know, whenever you're taking your tree down, uh, I noticed it again this morning watching um, the Book of Boba Fett, which you and I are going to talk about later, and mm -hmm. it was red. And I was like, why is it red? I was like, I've not had these on during the day. It was the sunshine coming in through my red curtains. And it was just at the right spot at like 10 a.m. this morning that the corner of the TV was catching the reflection, the like the angle, it was just right. And I was just like, hmm. okay, like it's annoying, 
but it's at the same time, it's just like, I love that it's that accurate, that it's not just picking up what the TV is putting forth as luminance, but also like what's reflecting off the screen. Um, Ooh, so it goes, let's stop showing off now. <laughs> yeah. Right. So anyway, I, I can't recommend it enough. I mean, it's, they're a hundred dollars Canadian regular price. I got them on sale for 70 as a treat to myself. And right. I, I kind of just thought like, well, even if I can just control them and do whatever I need to do with them, they're still going to be, you know, a, a set of that size was going to rough run me roughly 50 bucks anyway. So like the extra $20 mm -hmm. for responsiveness and they still do all the other things. Um, so I've just been tickled pink and we'll talk about it again uh later on in, in the show but like it just it's it's been a really really fun experience to have something one work out of the box as advertised yep. two something as simple as changing the lighting in your room changing the entire gaming experience on something like you know forza horizon 5 uh and and just knowing that you can have all these other functionalities with it and it's voice controlled by my echo so like i can turn them on and off with my voice change the brightness with my voice um i notice with films it's it's better to take the intensity down like you change the brightness to like 30 to 50 percent during films and then on video games you can kind of up it back up to 70 or 100 depending on what you want to do um but yeah like that's that's been my the, the tail end of my christmas break has been like that kind of experience so far um, and just kind of going into the new year, looking forward to like, now I'm thinking about like, what games can I download that are going to be like really bright and colorful? <laughs> <laughs> so what, what have you been up to, man? Like what's, what's new? I mean, it's, it's been a couple of weeks, I think. Uh, I've been trying to be, make myself a little bit useful on my break. Didn't want to be a, like a super lump, a bump on the log. So I started to put together my first, uh, like an online course. So I'm probably going to upload it to Skillshare or Udemy just as a way to, uh, I mean, as I mentioned to you, I, I've taught in the past and i just i taught last semester a little bit when i um stepped out uh, stepped up to help when a, a teacher needed to to bow out for a little while and i love it it's 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 hands down the most rewarding job i've ever had i just i love it so much and i'm grateful that i have the, the job that i do right now I, I enjoy being a graphic designer but if if it were you know if income weren't an op uh an issue and i could just pick whatever job i wanted to i'd probably go for teacher it's so good so um and I feel like now that I've been, you know, creeping up on 25 years experience as a graphic designer, I've got some stuff I'd like to share. So uh, it's uh, it feels like it's going to be a fun way to scratch the itch of teaching and as a way to also build some, some passive income. Just I've known some other people to do courses like this. And even if you have a slow month where your course makes, you know, 10 to $15 kind of thing, but it does that every month, that's just, oh, yeah, you know, that could be pizza money for for the month kind of thing so it's just essentially you you do the work once and as new people discover it you kind of keep the income going and then and my hope is to eventually and i'd love to i've been toying with the idea long enough that i've got a few course ideas that i want to do already so i'm uh i'm looking forward to it i think it's going to be pretty great and i'm pretty jazzed to dive in so are these courses that you are going to then take things from students and then mark or is it just like self-directed here are the lectures it's up to you to kind of then implement it in your own work. It's just self-directed. I, it's nice. basically like if, if I don't want to, I don't really have to be involved afterwards, but they, mm. they do have, um, uh, I haven't looked into Udemy very much, but I know that you can, you can upload a course to Skillshare and Udemy. It's not like you have to, you know, neither one can claim exclusivity on what you've done with your course with Skillshare. Uh, one of the stipulations that they have is every project or every every course that you do has a project attached to it 
And while you don't actually have to grade it or anything like that, students are encouraged to post their stuff to like a a discussion board underneath your lesson so people can see um you can go watch the intro video segment and then see what students have sort of posted underneath it based on the the course they've taken so it it and then you, you can see that the instructors have gone in and commented on them something even as simple as wow that really looks like it's got a lot of movement in it good job and while you don't have to it's encouraged so I, but i'm not going to go through and say you know you lost two and a half points on this because of that aspect of it it's just i can be as hands off as i want to but you know acknowledging that students have done work based on your course and then interacting with them is just going to then i guess just help spread the word on your courses well yeah i mean it's also going to cement that satisfaction from a student of like approval or appreciation from the person that gave the lecture, right? So then True. they're like, yeah, I took it. I learned this thing. And he commented on my my post. So then they're more likely to go tell a friend, you know, you should go take this course. I really enjoyed mm-hmm. it, learned a lot, all that kind of stuff. Um, especially early on. Like, because I mean, it's like looking at an Amazon thing. It's like, it's got three reviews or if it's got 50 reviews and a bunch of replies from the company about people asking questions about like, does this work in Europe? And like, does, you know, can the lights change color, blah, blah, blah. And if it's got those kind of responses, it's like, okay, well, that's, that's obviously a real product. And same thing with a lesson. Like if I'm looking at an art course and it's just something out there in the ether with no feedback on it, I'm more, I'm more likely to, to look at something that has comments or is something that has been circulated around a little bit, uh, or because of the sea of stuff out there more likely it's stuff that's been recommended by a friend or at least a site that's been recommended by a friend. So I, I, you know, and back in my publishing days and and talking with artists, I know a lot of artists were putting uh, stuff up on Gumroad. Have you looked at Gumroad at all? It's the same idea. So Gumroad is where I kind of go to initially to look for uh, art tutorials. So I don't know about graphic design, but that could just mean that there's a niche that needs to be filled on Gumroad, but I wasn't looking for graphic design. I was looking specifically for like painting, uh, as well as when I wanted to get into VR, I wanted to look at like VR tutorials. Uh, Guru Fujita has <laughs> a lot of Gumroad stuff. Um, also Photoshop tutorials, whatnot. And it's one of those things where like you price them whatever you want. So you can say minimum $10, but feel free to pay what you want. Sometimes people will say it's free, or if you'd like to leave me a tip, then you can do that too. But those are more for like, you know, brush sets or like really short tutorials, like 15 to 20 minutes, stuff like that. Um, I found that an hour long tutorial from a professional artist would range between eight and $10 depending, but then you can also put them on sale. Like you'll see them put them on sale on Christmas time for 25% off black Friday, like that kind of thing. Uh, I picked one up, uh, last year around boxing day i picked up something that was 20 bucks i picked up for 15 you know just kind of like landscape stuff um Mm. so that that kind of stuff is really cool uh i don't know if art station has any graphic design courses but artstation.com now does the exact same thing as gumroad it allows members to post lessons uh tutorials that kind of thing so i i don't know if graphic design is is an area that's sought after on artstation.com but if you're going to do the lesson once it's digital you might as well put it on as many platforms as you can get it on and then if it only earns five dollars on one platform but it earns five dollars in every platform then that's 20 bucks you know like that's that's a good way to go too uh that's awesome Mm -hmm. i mean you'll have to let me know and let everybody here on the show know when when it's ready because i'm sure that we've got artists and graphic designers in the audience uh, that would like to to pick up some new skills. Mm-hmm. I, I, I might I might take a review myself, <laughs> <laughs> depending on the topics. 
Um, cause as, as someone that's a self-taught designer, I mean, I, I have an art degree for people wondering, but I, I do mostly illustration and design. I don't really do graphic design that much. Um, or when I do, I keep it on the simple side because that's not what I'm trained in. Like if someone says, you know, Hey, we want to lay out this magazine page. I'm like, Ooh, I'm not your guy. But if you're mm -hmm. like, I need you to design my book cover and I want you to draw it as well. Yes. Okay. I can do that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's up my alley. Um, but yeah, that's, that's great. And there's something I think to be said about having, I'd say even 10, but 20 years experience in any field, like you've got stuff to say. Yeah. And it's even if it's, uh, I mean, I look online and I see courses that are, you know, I mean, it's no surprise I use the Adobe Creative Suite just because that's sort of the industry standard. And I know there are tons of courses out there on it, but I mean, I'm, I, I'm looking forward to doing things like on, you know, if, you, if you've got somebody standing in front of a white backdrop and then you want to crop them out and stick them on, you know, in front of a, a forest landscape, I've got, you know, I actually have a pretty quick, quick technique for doing that. And I think, you know, stuff that you learn after the 20 years that you can just share, like, even if it's not a full length course, these little tidbits and stuff. I always liked that about the painting tutorials that I was, I was picking up. Uh, Tyler Edlin is someone that I follow on YouTube and, um, I've taken, I've not taken courses from him, but I've watched his YouTube tutorials. And while he's trying to find something to talk about for the hour long tutorial, um, while this time lapse is happening in the background, there might be a part in the painting where he's not really moving on to the next concept. So he'll mm. drop, like he was dropping these little, like, you know, brush techniques or like Photoshop shortcuts or whatever into the lesson. I thought, this is great. Not only am I mm. getting like a how to paint tutorial, but I'm getting a, here's some tips and tricks in Photoshop that were not advertised as part of the course. So if you've got mm -hmm. stuff like that yeah. as part of your graphic design workflow, that's going to make things faster for people or easier or get better results by using a specific tool that they didn't know existed in Photoshop, because these programs are deeper than I ever use them for. Um, but like yeah. you, they're just industry standard. And so when I need them, I need them. And so I pay yep. for them to, to have the suite monthly. Um, but, um, I have to say that the last, I want to say that the last most recent versions of everything have been pretty headache free. Uh, normally I've got complaints about Adobe stuff, but right now things seem to be working. A-okay. Knock on, knock on wood, knocking on my forehead. Yeah. I'm <laughs> just about to say the same thing. We've got some more listener email this week, uh, kicking off 2022 is Lord Valor, Game Suggestion and Star Wars. Hello, Joel and Steven. I was catching up on the podcast over Christmas and enjoyed the holiday roundtable, as always. Something nerdy I got into over the holiday break was a game called Subnautica. I'm sure most of you have probably heard of it, but I highly recommend playing the game yourself. I love the story of the game and found the exploration aspect of the game very rewarding. I took about 25 hours to complete the story and also the Steam achievements. Switching subjects a little bit, I have a question concerning Star Wars, the Clone Wars. Well, you've come to the right place. I've been having a hard time getting through the earlier seasons. I'm currently on season two, episode 17. I'm sure this has been talked about on one podcast or another. But what would you recommend in terms of going forward? Is watching the earlier seasons worth it? Having watched all of the Skywalker Saga movies and The Mandalorian, should I try watching another Star Wars show? Thanks for the wonderful podcast. It has provided me entertainment as well as inspired me into podcasting and streaming on my own. Well, that's great. Very, very cool. Nice. Yeah. Uh, here's to a good 2022, Lord Valor. Uh, uh, fantastic news cheers. that you're streaming and, and podcasting. And cheers. Thanks very much. I'm glad that you enjoyed the holiday roundtable. I, I really enjoy that annually. It's been 
it's been a fun tradition here on the show. And the one time that I can let loose and not really worry about the clock, it's like a two hour podcast, which is not something mm-hmm. I normally let myself do. Um, but, uh, I didn't have to listen back to it just for, um, quality assurance and getting all the editing right. And, uh, I found myself in like just enjoying the editing process of listening to the show and what everybody had to say <laughs> when you're on the show and you're the host and you're constantly juggling, making sure that the other four guests that I had had equal say, and were like being talked to and balanced and stuff, you kind of, you're listening, but you're also worried about what's happening next as someone is talking. And it's a different experience to go back without all that to manage and just listen. And right. so, um, yeah, again, thanks to all the the guys that that helped out with that. It was a lot of it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was fun to talk about. Um, we'll start. I'll start with uh, Star Wars, and I would say, have you seen Rogue One or Solo? Because they're worth watching, uh, even though you've completed the Star War, the Skywalker saga. I think those ones fit in, unless you were including those in your saga. I hope you did. Um, but, uh, if you haven't, they're worth going back. Uh, and mm-hmm. as far as the Clone Wars animated series being worth watching, it is, and it does get better. It's one of those cartoons from the early two thousands that ages with its audience. So it, it, it was initially aimed at like 10 year olds, but by the time it was done, it was speaking to the 16 year olds that had been along for the ride. So the other seasons are better as it goes on. Uh, Lou's advice in this situation is to like put it on in the background when you're doing other stuff and just like look up when it gets interesting. And then when you start to feel you're being pulled away from what you were doing, ironing or, you know, dishes or something, uh, then you'll know, okay, well maybe season three or four is the time to get pulled in. Um, I do know specifically there is a costume change for Anakin and it's because Attack of the Clones and... Uh, what was the third one? The, um, Revenge of the Sith. So between those two films coming out, Clone Wars actually changed um, its timeline, or or when Clone Wars reached that part in their timeline, they switched Anakin. They gave him longer hair. They gave him more like a black wardrobe, and that for sure is when things got better, as far as being really kitty and annoying. They stopped doing like the droid episodes as often and stuff like that um the other trick that i do which is heavy on the spoilers if you care about that kind of stuff is i'll look at ahead on a season and i'll read some of the synopses on like wikipedia and just be like "Ugh, i don't like is this going to be one of these episodes and you go ahead and you read it it's like yep there is no mention of anakin at all (laughs) like in this (laughs) in this droid centric episode skip it like just move on you know but if you think okay well this is going to be important to the overall plot of the season, then you should probably watch that one, even though some of them might be hard to stomach, but it is worth watching. And I want to say specifically the last season, which only just came out last year, the year before, uh, has notes in it and reasons that are, that pay off more when you've seen the whole, the whole thing. Have you watched the Clone Wars, the animated series? I have not. It's one of those things I keep meaning to check it out. Like some of it or all the Star Wars shows, but it, at this point, like we didn't have, we haven't had cable TV in the longest time. So when they first came on, we, it wasn't a show option for us in this household. And and at that point, my guys were young and my boys were young enough that it wasn't, I don't know that it wasn't appropriate for their age, but they were, they were thankfully aware of when things bothered them in TV shows and they didn't like anything that had violence in it, even if it was animated violence. So they were 
aware enough to say no i don't want i don't like to watch this and so we just i never really sought it out to introduce it to them because they weren't interested in watching that kind of stuff anyway and so i i sort of want to watch it to could sort of round out my my knowledge a bit more of star wars but it just feels like it's one of those things that's going to be such a time commitment i and i know i know that i would want to start from the beginning it's not like i'd go mm, let's just do season four onward i wouldn't want to go right back to the beginning and get the whole story so yeah yeah i mean i mean the bad batch is better but the bad batch means you have to know who the clones are and the yeah. bad batch is better if you know who the clones were <laughs> Yeah. Uh, like they run into some main clone characters, you know, in their adventures and it makes it worthwhile to go back and, and watch them. The other thing that you can do too, um, there's enough fan sites out there that you can go and like, what's the essential watching? You can even do it by mm-hmm. character. Like if you just want to know, like, what are the essential, like character pivotal moments for Ahsoka in seven seasons of Clone Wars? And they'll give you the episode numbers and just like, go watch those. So you can, you, okay. and then by that point, you might be able to say, okay, well, these, these first ones were really kiddie. They're fine. But then wait a minute, this one was really good. And it was from, I don't know, I'm going to throw season four out there as like a, just a guess. Right. So then you might think, okay, well, if that episode with Ahsoka in season four was really good, maybe the whole season is worth starting there. And if that's the decision that you make, then you can just go back and read the, you know, the descriptions and the synopses of the last three seasons and be caught up and that's not, true. not worry about it. Right. Um, because I've, I've done that where um, I've seen the Clone Wars, but it had been years. And it's like, I'm not rewatching these. So when I knew there was going to be a, a heavy Ahsoka component of season seven, I went back and watched the last appearance that she had in season six. So I went back and refreshed my cliffhanger moments and what the drama was and why and all that kind of stuff. And that was helpful, you know, going going forward. So like there's there's stuff like that that you can do. Um, especially if it's like characters that are like fan favorites, like Bane. And if you want to see who Bane is and he's not in every season or he's not in every episode, then it's going to be better to go back. It's like, oh, well, here's the six or 12 Bane episodes from the Clone Wars. If you're really interested in that particular character, you know, now, I mean, I know what Subnautica is, but I've never played it. Have you played it? I have not, but that's one that I can talk about because both of my sons have played it. Well, my older son has played subnautica and my younger son has played subnautica sub-zero which is the sequel and so they, they both take place on different parts of the same planet so the first one in in a nutshell it's you you i missed the very beginning of uh, my son playing it so I, I know you're in a ship that comes down onto this planet um so i it's just one person so i don't remember if that person was part of a crew and they died on the way down or if it was just a single person going down and they were supposed to join up with other people on the planet. But there is some, but there is no one else on the planet. They all ended up dying. And like you're, you, you kind of get these little uh, audio snippets. Like they were transmissions from one person to another kind of thing that just they get, um, that you pick up along the way to kind of explain the lore of what's going on. It has a fairly, I, I think there's part of it that you would definitely like. It has a fairly similar feel to, um, satisfactory in the sense that you you go around and you pick up metal ores and it's different that you have to go around and grab like stones and metal ores and things like that but then you can take those materials come back and melt them down and then you can make yourself like a a better version of a thing that you already have or you can make batteries if you find enough stuff or you can eventually get enough resources to create a little tiny submarine pod for you which will then take you further further into the depths 
of the water and stuff like that. So it's 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 a really cool game, and the sounds are are excellent. Um, it's both of them found the games very stressful <laughs> because there's a lot of underwater creatures in the first one that are cute. There are some that are a little treacherous, and there are some that are straight up deadly. And if you know that there's one that's deadly between where you are and where you need to go, um, with this, you know, the kind of immersive sounds of the underwaterness going on around you, it's it proved to be fairly stressful. Plus, because if you die, then you get sent back to your original spawn point, and your submarine, if you were in one, is still trapped down there. So then you have to sort of go and grab more resources to build another thing to get you down there, so you can get the better thing. It's 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 pretty cool. Uh, I, I'm definitely going to try to play it at some point, but it's uh, it's uh, a little bit further down on my list. So <laughs> actually, my younger son found the second game so stressful that he stopped playing it. He he really liked it, but I got to a certain point where he needed he knew he needed to go down this sort of dark hallway, and there was noises and this one massive creature that kept trying to kill him. So he's like, "All right, I can't do this right now. <laughs> I need to take a break." And with underwater stuff, if you're claustrophobic at all, and the game is done really well. Mm. then you that's going to factor in uh i find that yeah. with minecraft um when i was doing early game exploration with the experimental snapshots and trying to swim down aquifers and stuff and it would be like one to two block wide crevices that are filled with water it's a video game it's nothing precious and i was still like nope <laughs> not this doesn't <laughs> as blocky and unrealistic <laughs> as it is yeah. you know like i'm just like this is not comfortable and i can only imagine when it's like a real a real thing, you know, a, a, yeah. a realistic looking or a game that's meant to have decent graphics and have more thought put into um, that experience. Like if it's meant to be scary and it's meant to be claustrophobic, then I can see that being being a yeah. problem. Especially with your new lighting setup. Oh man, yeah, and it's available. Like if you if you do that on your TV, that massive screen with the lighting setup with some head, some surround get, sound going on, I think it'd be just, I think it'd be a really cool cool experience. Maybe crazy stressful, but yeah, I don't have surround sound, but I have the point one, like I've got two point one with the the sound bar and the subwoofer, um, and that's been fun for some parts of games. Nice. Other other parts of games, I've been really worried about my neighbors. I've been turning it down, going, "Oh, sorry, that's a, <laughs> that engine on that on that Hummer is loud." <laughs> I didn't mean that. I mean, I own it. I've never played it. I picked it up on a Steam sale. I've had many people recommend it to me, but I've not even watched it played. Because again, because I own it, it's like, well, I don't want to watch someone play it. I want to play it myself if I'm going to sit down for an hour and watch someone play it. Um, But it's also available on Xbox Game Pass. Um, So uh, I own it on Steam, but I could very easily play it on Xbox and get that full screen experience. Um, Again, Mm, I just, it's one of those games that I'm, it looks cool. I've heard great things about it, but I just haven't pulled the trigger because when I do have an hour to sit down, there's another game that's kind of vying for my time. And I've talked to Ryan Murphy and Lou about this as well, because like, like Lou's got little, a little kid. Um, uh, Ryan's got three kids. Like they just, they only have so much time to, to sit down and video game and, when they do, it's like, it's usually the top tier stuff that they're playing. And then when you have time to play this other stuff, it's like, you know, an hour on stream or like, it just, it's not always up there, but I've heard, I've heard great things and it is really colorful too, from what I've seen. And I imagine that would look really cool on, on the, the Govi lights for sure. I imagine it would. Yeah. The only thing I didn't super care for is just like the way it renders the terrain as you get closer sometimes. Like it's, it's, instead of saying, I'm going to render everything 16 chunks in front of you, It'll render pretty much as far as you can see, but it'll be like lower, like a like a JPEG, a little bit lower res at first, and then 
higher res and then higher res and and so but it, it almost looks like it re-renders the ground sometimes so it's it's a bit takes it that's the only thing that sort of took me out of it when i was watching them but otherwise it was it's a very cool looking game and the second one i think they the sub-zero they they nailed a lot of the the details it's really good satisfactory does that and there's another game that mm-hmm. does that and i can't remember which one it is oh um no man's sky and and i agree with you it's immersion breaking if you if you, it's the first thing that i dialed up on no man's sky because it's like I'd, I'd rather have a slightly slower frame rate and be able to see foliage into the horizon than have foliage yep. go from like low poly blobs to like oh it's a tree it's like well <laughs> at least do it slowly <laughs> or do yeah. it like turn it into <laughs> low poly when it's really far away that's what satisfactory does stuff in satisfactory is really far away and it goes slow poly and they do that on purpose because with all the belts and items and stuff moving around it would just your computer would have a heart attack if it tried to render everything yeah. so they do that for everything in satisfactory and it works there to its advantage because it's far enough away and you can control the distance of it too in the settings you can say like super far really far close whatever um but yeah i i prefer the minecraft method of just like rendering chunks and like giving you a decent distance i find it's a lot more immersive um and uh one last feather in the cap to recommend for a star wars show is what we're going to talk about in the main discussion so lord valor if you haven't already you should be watching star wars the book of boba fett which premiered on the 29th of December and mm-hmm. it has had two episodes since its premiere on Disney plus. I have watched both, including the one that came out this morning. Have you watched the one this today? I have. So it was a little bit before the show started. So I'm light, light on notes, but fresh on thoughts. So. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, I'm reverse. I'm light on episode one. Cause that was a week ago. And then I'm, I watched episode two and I did notes right after this morning. So I'll, I'll have lots to say about that. Um, but we'll have links to everything in the show notes as always. And um, I will just stay off the top of my head pleasantly surprised highly recommend two episodes in and i think it's going to be good it's different uh yes. so it's it's still star warsy but it's not the mandalorian and it's not other stuff that we've seen either so you know i'm, I'm kind of like i'm along for the ride um i certainly felt that i liked episode two better than episode one the same like i felt that i i just liked it significantly better actually yeah there was a lot of just walking and like kind of repetitive visuals in episode one where it's mm-hmm. like okay i get it he's hurt he's di- he's dying he's it's rough go rough go for yeah <laughs> for boba fett but it just kind of felt like it dragged on and i think that there was a better balance in episode two um the way that the shows have been structured so far is that you get a little bit of current stuff which is picking up with boba fett immediately after the mandalorian appearance mm-hmm. where he has taken over jabba's um um palace um, and this is two people past Jabba because Jabba died and then someone took over for Jabba and then um, Boba Fett killed the other guy. Um, so, I mean, I guess spoilers, by the way. I'm not sure if I said that. I should have. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm sure people realize that by now. But, um, it, and, I mean, that's the first five minutes is is um, Boba Fett on the throne taking tributes and stuff. But you don't get a lot of that before it flashes back to Boba Fett escaping um, the Sarlacc pit and the pit of Carcoon which is cool because we knew it happened, but we didn't know how, mm-hmm. uh, how he did it and how hard it was seemed logical. Um, yeah. I guess the mighty Sarlacc is no more. I don't know whether he killed the Sarlacc when he, when he crawled out, you had that kind of iconic moment of the Boba Fett hand coming out from the sand, but the tentacles from Sarlacc that were nearby weren't moving. So I don't know whether the, the beast was dead uh or not because it it seems to be something that's been along for around for a while 
Yeah, he used fire as part of his escape, so I don't know if it ended up killing it or if it was just a means to kind of puncture hole in the side from where he was to get out. But... Yeah, like to, to just let him go. Is it like Monstro in 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 um, Pinocchio, right? Like just light a fire until he sneezes, <laughs> and then you, and then you go out, right? <laughs> that's so. what, that's what he should have done. Just show him like cannon through the air, just. <laughs> that would have been fantastic with a burp noise yeah because yeah. yeah. that was in that was in the in the original as well i i <laughs> i mean i i'm one of those people that actually prefers the original sarlacc pit in the 80s to what they redid with like the beak and stuff in in the re-release uh because i felt like right. it made it more monstrous like when you saw the beak it gave it a finite scale on how big it yeah. was whereas in the original, it's just a pit with teeth. And he's like, I've got no idea how large this thing is. And I, I found that a lot more intimidating. Um, and there's always, there always seems to be a thing with Star Wars and tentacles. Like there's always something grabbing at somebody's leg and trying to pull them down somewhere. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, like the first episode, it flashes back between like assassins and struggles at, um, at, at modern time in, in Mos Espa. Um, and then it flashes back and does most of the episode with, um, not Tuscan Raiders, but mostly it's just following Boba Fett. There are Tuscan Raiders, but you don't spend a lot, a lot of time there. It's just a lot of walking through the sand, which I thought, okay, I get it. It's part of Tatooine's like MO, but, um, mm -hmm. I wasn't completely enthralled. Now there were some things yeah. that were just like great Easter eggs. So, um, the music, um, for, uh, well, I guess the theme music for the book of Boba Fett is really, really good. It's got some Mandalorian notes in terms of like some of the deeper tones, but it's very different. It's still, it's darker. Uh, there's no heroic kind of like fanfare to it at the end. It's just very kind of like low uh, emotionally, uh, but I like it. Um, but then you have the other music, which was a fun nod in the casino club. I think they call it the yes. Oasis. <laughs> And it's basically like a slightly different version of the classic cantina band from episode four, uh, when, when, um, Luke and, and Ben Kenobi are in talking to Han Solo and it's got that, that trilled that clarinet kind of solo thing happening in the background. It's a version of that song. Um, and all the band members, um, are riddled throughout the casino and they're all original band members from Jabba's palace. Like they've got a new job, they got a new gig, which I think was pretty funny. Yeah. Um, I was so, wondering about that, whether it was the same crew or not, but that's funny. Yeah. No, I mean, I think there might be some new people or maybe they didn't include everybody, but there's definitely some key iconic characters. Like there's the blue guy, the, yeah. the clarinet playing dudes. And I want to say, I didn't see the singer, but that's good. Cause that was one of the worst things about it. Um, but there, there are definitely some, some familiar faces. Um, the other thing that I noticed was a good parallel with the original star Wars was the scene where Boba Fett is on the throne in Jabba's palace and you've got a bunch of people coming in to talk to him standing on the Rancor pit and paying tribute or having this kind of back and forth that I thought felt very Star Wars. The third thing that I noticed is uh, Boba Fett's back to sleeper, which reminds me of Darth Vader's like chamber that he has to rest in without his helmet. I thought that right. was kind of an interesting similarity like it it gives boba fett a slightly even though he's very vulnerable in that he gets him it gives him more of a slightly menacing mechanical kind of feel mm. even though he know he's not like he doesn't have any bio parts or mechanical parts that i know of um but yeah i mean that's what i picked up from the first episode we'll talk more probably about the second episode but like what were your first impressions fairly similar to what you were 
thoughts were. I mean, I, I, I was a little bit disappointed. I don't know if disappointed is the right word. At the end of the first episode, I kind of went, oh, that's it? I was expecting more to happen. Because it was just, you know, I, I'm glad that they showed how, as you said, how Boba Fett got out of the Sarlacc. Because we all know that he fell in it. And that's the last we saw of him in the movies. So, you know, that's like the first five minutes that's taken care of. And then um, I was really happy to see Ming-Na Wen back on screen. She's fantastic and everything. But I feel like so far she's been fairly underutilized in the show. She's done a lot of... They both. It feels like they sat around a lot in the first episode. Like in modern times, they just sat there. And then they walked a little bit. Then there was just some talking. Then there was a like a, a cool fight scene which um led to a parkour chase which felt a little bit a little bit lackluster. That kind of grabbed me too. It's just kinda of like, look, we've all seen parkour. It's not the hot new thing. It's like it just and it just screams to me, this is parkour, not Star Wars. Yeah, and and I used to dabble back in the day and I was never good at it, but I just I love to do the exercises, do the training, working on balance and I and I know and I've watched the videos and stuff like that from the uh the original crews on online and i i know like that this was slow this was like a parkour jog they they were walk you know running fairly slow around corners then they would do you know a fairly cushioned kong which is a you know the front a frontward leap where you put your hands down and then vault a little bit to bring your feet through and then there's the side vault where you you jump up and lean to the side a little bit and just put one arm down and get over it they were all very slow and casual and very jog like feel to them which kind of let was a bit of a letdown because if you if you're running away from um you know from an assassin who basically just kicked the butts of your entire crew and you're the only two getting away you're gonna light a fire under your backside and get out of there as quickly as you can but it was it just felt very like a very calm parkour scene like if, if i'm not did you ever see the james bond casino royale back in the day i think it was 2006 oh yeah yep yeah, there's, so there's there's a parkour scene in that where um, James Bond is ch- chasing. I think his name was Malaka. He was played by Sebastian Foucan, who is literally one of the co-founders of parkour. So that chase scene is brilliant. Like he does some crazy stuff in that, but that's like the speed that he's running. And then there's one point where he he basically does a kong over a work table that looks like it's about 15 feet long, where he dives over the entire thing, puts his hands down, and just pulls through at the end. So there was like I don't know. Some things about... See, I guess I was a bit disappointed by the first episode. Some things just felt like they were not quite there. It didn't get you off to the races. No. And the, and and while I hadn't really thought about the, um, you know, the, uh, the recovery pod that Boba Fett goes in as uh, kind of a nod to, um, to Darth Vader, I don't know. It almost felt like he's... I don't know. The feeling I had was like he's too old for this job, so he's got to rest in between shifts every time. Almost, it was. I found it kind of odd. So he's in this in this pool, like this liquid pod to start off with. Almost goes and does a tiny bit out for the day, gets into a fight, but then suddenly it's like, oh, I'm the new crime lord, but I get into a bit of a fight. Need to go back to the spa pat, the spa tube, or something like that. So it just it didn't make it didn't make me feel like. Boba Fett was it didn't do anything to build him up as a as an impressive character in episode one. So Yeah. Um, yeah, I would but, agree with you that. Know, you know, John Favreau he's given us so much good stuff. I'm just sort of going, all right, 
I'm going to stick with it for a little while longer and see where it goes. But overall, was I, over overall enjoyed it, but felt disappointed by parts of it. How about you for episode two? So episode two, I was more impressed, and mm-hmm. they they had some interesting things. More Star Wars, basically. They want to tell this original story in the flashbacks, and in order to keep people watching, they're dropping all these like very cool like Star Wars like hit points um in in the main like current timeline so um he's been the assassins that they fight in the first episode were sent by the mayor he then goes to speak to the mayor to give him hell and um i can't remember the character's name uh the major domo the the major domo for the the speak the speaker for the for the mayor he's a twi'lek and i guess all the twi'leks in this show don't have pointy teeth um, I thought the men had like real sharp fangs, but I guess only mm. the um, only the ones in the movies do because everybody that's Twi'lek in this show they've all got normal teeth. Um, anyway, right. I just he's just one of those like smarmy characters that just nothing he says is worth listening to because it's all smarmy. So like it doesn't yeah. like nothing is going to be true. So why bother? Um, and so you have to deal with him and all this kind of stuff. And I did like the fact that the uh the mayor i'm struggling is it mock shayaz or shays i think is the name he's a he's a ethorian which is the like flathead hammerhead looking alien that you've seen in star wars before uh previously i don't think we've seen anybody in live action speak maybe maybe in one of the this the uh the the third series like eight nine ten or um seven eight nine um but I know in the Clone Wars and certainly in other animated series, we've seen Ithorians in them. There's an Ithorian Jedi mm-hmm. at one point, which is really cool. Um, but to hear them speak, I thought was neat because they have like really deep kind of like vocal chortles. Mm-hmm. And, and then that gets translated by he's got like a little speaker on him, kind of like a Star Trek translator that kind of gives you what he's saying in English. And it's cool because it kind of like it, it makes him kind of creepy because it's like a disembodied digital voice that kind of comes out of him um it was hard to hear him because i think the deepness the the low notes of his of his actual sounds kind of overlapped too much um mm. with with the the audio but i thought that whole exchange was was okay in terms of he's this i know more than you you don't know what's going on you you think you're going to walk in here and take over a crime family and it's just going to be a cakewalk and you don't know how complicated these things are yeah. um but i found that a lot of the conversations um especially with um Fennec Shan with Mingna Ren I, I feel like um it's the unfortunately the dialogue that they've given her is a lot of like just threats it's like yeah you know you're lying or stop that or who does this guy think he is like nothing she says so far is of any real consequence um and even at some of the more poignant moments and which i thought was cool coming up is when boba fett goes to the casino to then talk to i can't remember her name either the girl that runs this casino um it's uh, jennifer beals she's the girl from flash dance <laughs> that, that's yeah, the tweet uh, like that curse curse of whip right so um so so whip um she tells him that the huts are laying claim to Jabba's old turf even though as far as i know as the rules of engagement go boba fett has come on it uh, like honorably like he killed the guy that had it before him and he's taken it 
Um, mm-hmm. But the huts are laying claim to it. And the twins, to go back to our email about uh, Clone Wars, uh, and specifically, I think also um, the Rebels animated series, but the twins are definitely huts that you encounter in the animated series. So the sea the twins uh, that's cool. brought into live action and the fact that huts are back in live action film or live action adventures is really cool they're creepy they're brother and yeah. sister and they're kind of tangled up in a very very close manner uh and and it feels very strange when they come in because yeah. they're coming they brought they're brought in on a litter like there's these all these men are carrying these giant worms on this platter um and it's typical stuff like it's cool showing that the huts are there, but they don't like, they just kind of say like, they kind of come in threatened to get, get him, get rid of him, but then walk away saying like, I hope you feel safe. And it's like, if you wanted to kill him, it looks like they had the armament to do it right there. I'm not sure why they came in with the threats. <laughs> like it was, the whole thing was just to show us that the huts are back. Like there really wasn't yeah. any kind of plot point to it. So that yeah. was cool. But also you're just kind of like, well, it was neat, but like, I, it, I don't, I still don't know where this is going as far as the modern storyline is going. But I think you hit it on the head where you basically, basically they're, they have the modern parts of it so that it links up with the Mandalorian timeline. That's the only thing I can think of right now because yeah. it's, it's not, it doesn't feel like it's amounting to anything yet. I'm hoping it comes full circle. I'm hoping that this war with the huts that's coming means that Mando is going to need more people, not Mando. Um, Boba Fett. Boba. I'm not even sure if he's a Mandalorian. Like, I know he's got Mandalorian armor, but I don't know whether he killed someone and took it or whether he's actually mm-hmm. a Mandalorian. I don't remember that. I should know that, but I don't remember that. Yeah, he mentioned something about it in previous episode, or it's not the previous episode, but in in Mandalorian he mentioned it, but I can't remember. Yeah, I know his armor is important. I don't remember whether they're like brothers in arms or whether he's just because in Man- in the Mandalorian when he makes his entrance, he makes his entrance with a gaffy stick. Right, like he's it's he's more Tuscan Raider at first appearance than than he is Mandalorian, and so that's where I think that if Boba Fett needs an army, that's where I think the longer flashback that we got this episode mm. and the more in depth flashback and the relationship that he has made with this Tuscan tribe that captured him and has him as a slave. I mean, it's very it's very much you know like outsider captured by you know, First Nations tribe uh, eventually befriends and becomes one of them because he shows yeah. his value sort of deal. Um, and I'm not discounting that. It's a good story. Uh, and and um, they do a good job. It's slow. It's every movement because the Tuscan Raiders speak with sign language as far as we know, um, in addition to their own, you know, language that we don't get to understand. Um mm-hmm every bit of staging every movement you start to pay attention and they did a really good job of having a lot of subtle things so the way that a tuscan raider nods their head the way that the tuscan raider is trying to communicate how to fight with a stick with a gaffy stick um and all that kind of stuff on how he's learning uh is is really cool i especially like the fact that Boba Fett didn't reveal to them immediately that he's a trained bounty hunter and probably knows his way around a weapon. He was just, it's, he was weak, but he was also like learning their way of how to use the gaffy stick, not just using it like he would everything else. I mean, he also probably is more of a blaster guy anyway, but still I, I thought that they, they balanced that well. And 
they did a really good job with the costume design because there's specific Tuscan Raiders you start to recognize and they have very unique personalities. I mean, sometimes mm -hmm. it's easy because it's a little kid, right? And so you remember the kid from the first episode and he was like getting them to do all the digging. And then you remember from this episode where he's, he's given an important job to do and all this kind of stuff. But then there's other, there's the chief and then there's the trainer and there's a couple of other ones that are, are kind of key to his acceptance into the tribe. Mm -hmm. And I thought they did a really good job with that. And that I found it more interesting and I thought it was more engaging, um, in episode two than I did episode one. Agreed. I'm, I'm, I'm invested in the backstory. I think it's, I think it's being really well done and, uh, yeah, I get it. Current time is there to link it to the Mandalorian, but this, all of this, all of this backstory has got me hooked. It, and I, and, and I almost feel like they just wanted if, okay, this is just a total assumption on my part, but it's almost like the writers went, we want to give you all of his backstory, but we can't just introduce him in the Mandalorian and then jump back a decade or like, I don't even know how long it is, but we just can't jump back and then just sort of then bring you up to Mandalorian time by the end of the season one. Well, I guess you could have, um, but I'm, 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 I find the, the past snippets much more compelling than the current day stuff i'm that's what I, I was a huge fan of it through episode two and that's what's going to keep me coming back for episode three yeah and as far as timeline goes like he went into the sarlacc pit in return of the jedi could yeah. not have been there very long because he had to get out before he would begin to be digested so i don't know a day an hour i don't know mm -hmm. not 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 years that's for sure no, um, just long enough for everyone above ground to clear away, basically. Yeah. And then in the Mandalorian, at least in season one, that timeline is like immediately after the the Battle of Endor or close thereafter. So huh. that's maybe within a year. So I mean, like, how long did, did Boba Fett spend with the Tuscan Raiders? Or, you know, I mean I get the feeling that there's certainly been enough time passing by that it's not just a couple of days after he got there because yeah they're doing a good job with his wounds like as he's there with the tuscan raiders longer he doesn't look quite as unhealthy yeah and so that's an interesting point though like the makeup they've done for his skin has been really good like he, it looks like he was baking baking in the sun for a long time and just painfully peeling yes exactly it's like over time it just slowly gets better yeah that's a good point i forget about so that. you get the idea that he's been there months if not longer where he's mm -hmm. slowly start and then and he moves differently too right like he he goes at one point into a biker bar essentially uh and and uh and beats up the bikers and so he's fighting and he's doing all these things quite successfully and not not like break not necessarily breaking a sweat but like it where he was barely walking in episode one you know at the tuscan mm -hmm. camp so um i i found that that was a little bit on the nose the the biker gang bar scene was like okay yeah. this is like real world not even real world now it's more like 90s film trope you know <laughs> of biker <laughs> yeah. of bikers bugging some nerd guy in the corner and then uh, the hero of the story comes in and beats everybody up and it's just like okay what is this lethal weapon like i just so that that kind of stuff was a little bit on the nose um i also thought i was i i didn't quite catch it i was eating breakfast at the time and i thought that he was witnessing someone related to the train on the speeder bikes but he just happened to see speeder bikes yeah and i'm just like how did he know where they went like how did he know well, what direction to go to they 
when he, what was it in, in episode one? Or were they in episode one? They were. I'm trying to remember where oh, now. Like, they they okay. went by. They, if they were in episode one, then I don't feel it. I mean, the bar fight was still tropey, but the location being so out of place in my head, I'll forgive. Because if I missed it in episode one, then that's that's fine. Um, speaking of episode one, I know we have to keep going, but like, did you catch the um, the Boston Dynamics robots in episode one on the street? No. Are you familiar with the Boston Dynamics mule robot? Looks like a little deer. And they, you know, they've seen, you've seen them. Oh online. yes, 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 yes. The like the 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 current day robotics, and when I when I say current day, I mean I mean our real life, not Star Wars world current day robotics. Yeah. They put some white stormtrooper plates on them and had them walk down the road in one of the shots, and I was just like, okay, it, it pulls you out of it for a heartbeat, but you quickly yeah. forgive it to the point where it's like that is a real 2021 robot in a sci-fi yeah. film. <laughs> that has like crazy robots in it and it's fine like it's not cg yeah. that's a real thing it even gets knocked over at one point and catches itself and i was just like okay <laughs> that's yeah, just i know that's just silly cool it's for all the nerds in the audience they went oh my god <laughs> that's, yeah. you know that's really I, fun and i agree i was pulled out just for just for the split second and then i it felt like they belong there it was just cool yeah, really, really well done. Um, anyway, to go back to the the speeder bikes and stuff. So this leads to like a big kind of battle. And so the action in the modern story, the current timeline story, feels a little bit lackluster. But I felt like the action in the flashback train heist was, well, one, mm -hmm. it's a Western, so we're getting a train heist. I mean, they might as well be galloping up to a steam engine, <laughs> right? And hijacking yeah. the train. <laughs> but some of the most fun moments when these guys are coming on here and beating the snot of these guys with the gaffy sticks, like there's a point where someone dives in, it's the trainer, it's, it's the Tuscan trainer that dives into the, the side of the train. And then somebody is immediately thrown out the window and they're thrown out the window until they hit the ground. And then they just vanish backwards because of course the train's moving at crazy speeds and mm -hmm. you, you're anticipating one of those, like, you know, this is going to be going to be a, a stunt person kind of like being thrown from the train and dropping and rolling and being dramatic. And you're like, nope, they basically kind of disappear into a poof. <laughs> and yeah. I laughed out loud because it was just, it kind of had that cartoon <laughs> kind of like smack and they're gone. Yeah. And like, and it's like, I mean, because they weren't dead when they left the train, like in the air, they were very much alive and flailing. And then you just kind of hear this whack and you're like, oh, that's gross. <laughs> yep. They're um, done. Yeah. And that, that happened a lot too. There was another one where, um, the, the train kept on speeding up and one of the bad guys was in the way of the exhaust and got kind of like vaporized and thrown back down the train at again crazy speeds and i i thought that they did a really good job with the action and like lots of great nods to great train chases i i would imagine mm -hmm. for anybody that's a western film aficionado i bet that there are some shots that are paying homage to some great train chases in in that's a good point. cinema um i wouldn't be surprised um just because it just it felt good like it felt like um good action low camera angles um all kinds of stuff and nothing was too unbelievable you know like minus no, the, I, the hooks the grappling hooks were a little bit rudimentary but everything else was fine well i felt like they earned it though i did i felt like they did a good job of you know, these tuscan warriors had clearly never been on these bikes before their their first instinct was when boba fett you know stole them they started to dismantle them so they could use them for parts or whatever and he's like no 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 no. they teach you how to drive these and they they did a good scene i don't know it might have been 
a minute and a half tops or whatever, but of just showing him teach them how to drive it and then little cutscenes over and over again showing them getting better and better and better. So it wasn't like a I've stolen these and then five minutes from now we're going to go you know do a train heist. It is again they do it, it felt like they did a good job of showing the passing of time and so I believed that they got better at it. And so when it came time to actually do it, it felt like yeah. They they they've actually earned you know the ability to do that kind of thing. Yeah, I would agree. Uh the the thing that I picked up on and I'm curious as to whether you've picked up on this as well uh and i can't take full credit for it i want to give a shout out to uh jay stoobs on tiktok who does a lot of marvel commentary also likes star wars and um Mm. the mandalorian and and boba fett anyway she was talking about um kira amelia clark from the solo film that we haven't seen anything from in uh, forever uh and wondering whether we're going to get some tie-ins into oh right into the new material right in in the on disney plus and her speculation in the video that I watched was she thought that that um, Kira could be the mayor of Mos Espa that is mysteriously speaking through other characters. Um, that would be cool. I thought that was a neat idea. I remember the, the the mayor, at least they said the mayor was a dude, not that that couldn't be a misdirect, but I kind of thought, well, that's probably a little bit more, um, a little bit more in the nose. However, what it has got me looking for is things that do not appear to be um, what they seem. And so it's not obvious right away, but later on in episode two, uh, I noticed that the training Tuscan is female, or at least the actor playing the person is female. And um, I just picked up on it just in terms of there's a couple of um, big acrobatic movements that kind of reveal, I will say, stature. Uh, There's some slick movements that just feel a little bit too ballet like to, to be like big, brutish. They don't feel super masculine uh, in that way. And I just, again, and I think in some of the action shots, the way that the cloth and stuff was hanging on them, I just kind of thought, that's a woman. And that's interesting Hmm. because I now know that. And I'm kind of wondering whether we're ever going to get a reveal. Is it important that she's a woman? Is it not? Um, Which is cool if it isn't at the same time, because the way that I, I like they handle everything is that the Tuscans are just kind of presented as pretty much all equal with the exception of the chief because of how yeah. he's dressed and how he acts. But everybody else there's, I mean, it's impossible to tell gender roles. Like everybody hunts, everybody shoots, everybody fights. Like there's not those traditional kind of like masculine feminine things. Like all the, mm-hmm. all the Tuscan women aren't like gathered around a fire cooking while the men are out hunting. Like that's not a thing that they're showing. No. So, which I think is great. Um, but I did, I did notice it because Jay Stubbs mentioned Kira. So that I was looking for opportunities where things are misleading or, or like mm. some sort of cool Easter leg. So, so I, I, I noticed that. So I'm curious as to whether we're going to see that kind of move forward. Um, the other thing, which again, I got from TikTok, but I can't remember the creator that said it. Cause it's not someone I follow. It just kind of went by, but they said that the, the Tuscan, um, leader, the chief is a much bigger person than the other Tuscans. And physically, you mean physically? Yeah. And, and appears to be wearing armor, which the other ones are not. And it looks like trooper armor at, or it could have been at one point. And he's like, did the Tuscan defeat a clone trooper and take the armor? Or is that its own armor? And it's just another person that's been assimilated into the, into the Tuscan tribe and eventually became the chief. 
Interesting. I, I don't know because we don't know anything about Tuscan Raiders. Like we don't know what they look like. We don't know, you know, how like are they like underneath all those robes? Are they all the same race of of aliens or are they all different? Right, and it's mm-hmm. more of a a tribe of people rather than a like a a biological thing. Um, well, that would be cool. So basically, full head to toe, fingertips and everything coverage to basically say who you were before this moment doesn't matter you're now tuscan yeah i don't know i just it's an interesting idea uh and i'd love for there to be some sort of clone wars tie-in or at least a clone tie-in because of course for people that need the refresher uh jango fett boba's dad is the physical model for all the clones all the clones in the clone wars were cloned from jango fett and as payment, right. Jango Fett wanted Boba Fett, who is a clone. It's, it's his biological son by cloning, but not as his, he wasn't given birth to, he was cloned. So Boba Fett would also share the exact same face as any clone. So if you see any clones in current versions of Star Wars television shows, they're probably going to be going to be played by Tamara Morrison, right? So <laughs> it's going to be interesting. Um, and I feel bad that I hadn't mentioned this at first. I really like Morrison. I really like what he's doing with Boba Fett. And I, I think I like his stuff better in the Tuscan area than I do the modern stuff. Because again, the modern okay. stuff, it's more about the lines that they're giving him. They're all kind of wooden and like de facto Star Wars action lines. Whereas there's a lot more subtlety happening and a lot more physicality happening in the flashbacks. I'm not sure the growth is the word I want to use, but there's more character development in the uh, the flashback sequences, whereas so far everything has felt somewhat stagnant, mm. if that's the right word. They're doing a, an interesting thing on IMDb where, I'm not sure if you noticed, but they're only releasing the actors in the episodes that they're in after the episode comes out. So at first it said like the, the main two actors it shows Tamura Morrison and Ming-Na Wen were in seven episodes each. And then it showed, you know, Jennifer Beals as Garza Whip was only in one episode uh, as of yesterday. But then episode two came out and now it shows that she's in two episodes. So Kira still may show up, but they're only really showing who's in the show after an episode is released. It's uh, an interesting technique to not to avoid spoilers and saying, oh, yeah, cool, you know. This actor's in it, so obviously this character is going to appear. They're doing a pretty good job of keeping it under wraps. And I um, stopped myself from looking too far ahead because, of course, they started talking about like who were playing the Tuscan Raiders. I was like, oh no, 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 I don't want to know because if if you know there's an important name or an an actor that I know, I don't want to know that's who under is under the ropes at this point. Mm-hmm. Right? So, um, so I only looked at the first couple of people just so I can get the main actors' names and, and stuff like that. So, um. Yeah, I mean I'm 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 on board. I'm I'm happy to to watch it. It's it's got the right vibe for me. It's a part of Star Wars that we don't know much about. We hardly know anything about Boba Fett and we hardly know anything about Tusken Raiders. And what we know about Tusken Raiders, we learned from the Mandalorian, as far yeah. as I know. Um so yeah, I mean I'm I I mean production quality and all that kind of stuff. It's really good. Like I've not seen a lot of a lot of stuff that kind of was like, oh, that looks really CG. There was one point where Boba Fett was in his little white <laughs> pajamas and he was getting off one of the speeder bikes and it's like mm, that's not really him that is a cg model <laughs> it is, mm. and on my giant 4k tv it's like ah that doesn't look all that good <laughs> it's funny some of the costuming was actually taking me out of it a little bit the uh 
the two um i forget what they're called his his bodyguards kind of thing the uh oh the gamorians Gamorian, the, the gamorian yeah. guards yeah like when they were walking up the stairs at one point you could sort of see the wrinkles of the costume in behind the knees or when they stood there you could see the wrinkle in the front of the knees kind of thing and, and part of me feels bad saying that because then people are going to notice and go oh great now it's ruined it for me as well yeah. but there's been a, like a couple of little costume things that have pulled me out of it a tiny bit but the thing that i always noticed when i was younger about the Camorians in star wars um and this is because i knew i was a big fan of jim henson and i would watch all the behind the mm. scenes and i knew how these characters moved and stuff and the Gamorians can't turn their heads they turn from the hips so if something happens hmm. and they look over their shoulder they do this really awkward kind of like and it's like it's <laughs> it's all from the hip there's no there's no neck movement at all um which kind of i mean it sort of makes sense with their weird stocky looking nature but it also yeah. means like how efficient are they at fighting if they can't turn their <laughs> head like they don't look like they're the fastest things on the planet so yeah i just efficient head on yeah now Talk about threatening, though. Uh, this was a fun little Easter egg. Oh, I don't right. remember his name because I, I didn't stay in the credits or look in the credits to see if I could figure it out. But I think Boba Fett called him a gladiator, but it was a Wookiee that was with the huts and he was all black and gray. And it kind of reminded you like, man, Wookiees are an entire race of people and some of them might have been assholes. Like, you don't know. Yeah. Whether all like <laughs> Chewbacca is a good guy and you think most of his friends probably were, but you don't know if all of the Wookiees are, are just temperamental te teddy bears, right? Like this, this guy looked fucking mean and I mean it yeah, in, he a, was huge. in a great way. Like I just like, okay, that's threatening. Cause I'm looking at these huts going like this, these guys are just like, what are they going to do? And then you're like, you realize that they have this guy with them. It's like, okay, so that's, that's a fight that I want to see, you know? Um, <laughs> so like and and of course like it, it's also not cg it's a dude in a suit right like true yeah. star wars wookie like what giant flipping actor did they find to put in this thing so i'm I'm looking forward to see more of that i hope that's not just a one-off i hope we see more of that character and they become you know i'm sure that they probably have a name and all that kind of stuff because it's star wars but that that had me kind of going like okay all right i'm paying yeah. a lot more attention now Moving on into the Internet Minute, which is brought to you by you, dear listener. The Citadel Cafe is 100% listener supported. If you're getting value out of the show, please consider putting a little bit of value back in. You can become a member at patreon.com slash the Citadel Cafe. Joining at any level will get you an invite to the member-only Discord server and include benefits like website, credits, thanks, and of course, bonus episodes. Uh, no new bonus episode this week, but there are a number that we recorded just before the end of the year. So you'll have access to those and all the ones previous, as a matter of fact. Patron count is at 23, and that I checked yesterday, which means that it is up one from the last time we recorded before Christmas. So thank you to the new person. And if you'd like to be number 24, visit patreon.com slash the Citadel Cafe and consider supporting the show. I did not have time to scramble through and get a pick this week, but Stephen, you did. I did indeed. And so like the designer dork or nerd loves fonts. And 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 someday I dream about making a font. It's, it's sort of on my designer bucket list. And so uh, my pick of the day, it's something as uh, an Adobe Illustrator extension or plugin called Font Self. Um, claims to be the easiest way to make your own fonts. So and you can go to fontself.com and and it ends up literally being a palette that shows up in Adobe Illustrator and you create all of the graphics for the for the different letters, all the different character shapes, and you drag them into the palette. And then you can 
export it from there as an open typeface. And I've been eyeing this for a while, and, and I'm not sure what the, the draw has been, but over the last last few months, I keep going, you know what? I think I'm going to have to make the purchase in the next little while. It's been, um, yeah, I've heard great things about it, and the fact that it's just an add-in to a, a program for $39 US, which is fantastic, because if you're looking at something like Fontographer, the price has fluctuated over the years, but it's uh, it's been upwards of $800 for that application at different points. So, yeah, a $39 plugin is that looks like it handles the font creation well is a the dream for me. Are you familiar with Blambot.com? Uh, yes, actually, I think you mentioned to me at one point. So um, they have a, a book out. Uh, Nate Picos uh, is the artist behind Blambot.com. We actually interviewed him on Comics Host to Host at one point. Uh, and, uh, he's got a, a book about comic lettering and making fonts and stuff like that out. So that might be a fun resource as well. But, um, <laughs> inspired by that, I used a program way back in the day when I was doing Starcrossed comics and I had to print out a sheet hand letter, uh, my, <laughs> my block printing for speech balloons into that sheet and then scan it in clean up each individual letter because of course the scan was kind of messy and then upload that to another site i don't remember what it was called it was free it didn't cost me any money um so it wasn't like the best font in the world it kind of had some kerning issues and i ended up having to learn about that and kind of tweaking the files myself once i got the file right. downloaded like the file that i downloaded was okay and then i had to tweak it and kind of make it my own however um having a font of your own printing for you know design purposes and for for cartooning was amazing it saved me so much time to to ink a cart a co comic strip was about 90 minutes it took the same amount of time to letter the balloons right so to do that by hand versus in the computer where it took a third of the time uh, was fantastic it just meant that my originals looked a little bit kind of weird because the, my speech balloons were all empty and then I did them oh, yeah. digitally. And, and so it sped up the process, but it made my originals look less like kind of like true pieces of art. Um, but uh, doing your own font, if you were to do one, are you talking about like a straight up typeface or would you be doing something a little bit more like cartoony or comic booky or, or really ornate or different? Um, I would love to do an actual typeface with different weights. Um, okay. Just display fonts, kind of get right down into it. I mean, it's, I know there are typographers who do this for a living and it can take months, if not years to complete a full type set. So I mean, I know that the first one I do is not going to be up to that level, but I've been playing around with typefaces enough and, and sort of crafting and, you know, fudging with fonts to make logos and, and word marks over the years that, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to get down and dirty into the details of this stuff, but. There's there's actually two type two I call them typefaces, but script typefaces I'd like to make as well is just uh if I can make it happen is like hand my my parents' handwriting. Like both my parents have amazing and it's it's been my, one of those things where I've it just you don't see that kind of handwriting very much anymore. Really for the longest time wanted to create a font um for each of my parents' handwriting, like their their cursive is beautiful. They're both very different, but they're just they fit, they've got their own character to them. They are both very legible, and both yeah. 
it's almost like one of those things that's just to be able to preserve, maybe it's just because I would love to preserve my parents' handwriting um, for all time kind of thing, but I think it would just be so cool to be able to to just type and have their, their writing. I had, I think it's been just wet and destroyed and, and seen better days, um, but I had a handwritten recipe of my dad's Christmas pudding um, for the longest mm -hmm. time. And that's what I was using every Christmas to, um, to work from. Now I should have photocopied it and used that to work from and then left the other thing somewhere else. Um, but I didn't think about it at the time. I mean, dad's still around. It's not like I couldn't get another one, but the one that I have right now, he typed it out and sent it to me because he wanted to like, he wanted to update it or something. And, and so I've got a typed version that I use now, but it's, it's right. not quite the same um, kind of nostalgia feeling working from that as it is as it is from something else and talking about cursive that's something that reminds me of like um, I don't know how many kids these days can write cursive um, <laughs> they can use tablets and type circles around their parents uh, oh my and it goes full circle because like when my dad sits down on the keyboard like he's a two-fingered henpecker like it takes him eons to type something right so uh, whereas me like I'm in this weird world in between where I'm out of practice, but my cursive is good. Um, I've had compliments on my handwriting before. Years of cartooning has turned my handwriting into almost like writing and printing kind of combined. And it gets, yeah. it gets a little bit weird. Um, so it's not true cursive. I was into calligraphy at one point when I was a teenager, but, um, but I can type oh, a mile a minute, right? So I can do both, right? Like if I'm writing at a grocery list, the odd time that I do it, or if I'm typing at the keyboard, I'm fast at both. Whereas if you told my, my niece to like write something on a tablet versus like write something down with a pen, like she'd be faster at the tablet by far. Yeah. And it's no secret. I guess both my guys are homeschooled and, and they, they both learned cursive and you know, when they do it fast, it's not always legible, but I'm guilty of that as well. But they're no, they, they both really enjoy writing cursive. So whenever they have to take notes on things, it's uh using pen and paper. It's often, often cursive. That's pretty cool. Well, we will look forward to the tutorial on how to create your own font in 2025. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, that wraps up this episode of the Citadel Cafe. You can find more information about the show and links to some of the things that Stephen and I talked about at thecitadelcafe.com. The music for the show was composed by Kevin McLeod, and you can email us at thecitadelcafe at gmail.com. Thanks again, Lord Valor, for the great email. Subscribe for free on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify, even YouTube. Word of mouth is the easiest way to support the show. Just tell friends about the Citadel Cafe and where they can go to listen to it. My name is Joel Duggan. You can find everything I am doing online, including my illustration and design portfolio at joelduggan.com. You can also check out my other podcast about Minecraft at thespawnchunks.com. New episode of that went out on Monday. And of course, you can follow me at Joel Duggan on social media and Joel Duggan on Twitch, where I will be returning to the Citadel, the Minecraft server that Stephen and I both play on, actually, uh, this coming weekend. Stephen, where can people find you online? Uh, most of the time, it's uh, Thursday evenings and Sunday mornings on Twitch at twitch.tv slash stevenesc, and that's Stephen with a PH. And hopefully I'll be able to uh, plug a couple of online courses in the next little while. You've been listening to the Citadel Cafe, where we are fast, easy, and cheap, but you can only pick two.